Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Dr. Fujian Zhang, a psychotherapist, speaker, author, and fellow podcaster. Much of our modern conception of the world is shaped by our scientific knowledge, which in turn is shaped by our philosophical beliefs. A philosopher who has had an immense impact on the way we conduct science is Rene Descartes whose Cartesian dualism has led to split-reductionist views of much of the world throughout history. But are the splits we create real or imagined? Perhaps more importantly, are they helpful or harmful? Today, we're talking about dualities. All right, Dr. Zane, uh, thanks for being on the show. Um, what, what do you want to tell the listeners about yourself? Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, when you were ta- when when I was hearing you, I'm like, you know, we all kind of are philosophers anyway. So we we look at the world and um, we actually bring whatever is out there as any type of data uh, or information and um, shift it into our viewpoint. And our viewpoint is constantly making our philosophy. So. Uh, when you said, it, I'm like, yeah, we are all philosophers. So I could say I'm a philosopher, a psychotherapist. And um, um, I've been a psychotherapist and a coach for over 30 years. I've uh, immigrated to the United States when I was 12 from Iran and kind of raised myself and uh, went to school. And um, obviously, I think that when you talk about every therapist, uh, there was a part of themselves that they wanted to heal. Uh, a trauma they wanted to heal. So we started this path kind of working on ourselves, And, um, you know, I learned all the theories that were out there. I'm very curious about the um, the mind of a human being. And um, out of all the beautiful, wonderful theories that are out there, I kind of picked the best part of them that I really saw in the session's work and brought them together as, a, um, as an open structure, uh, which is called awareness integration theory which we use it from a therapeutic perspective, but also we have uh, taken it into an educational model. And um, uh, right now we're teaching it in daycare and we're finding astonishing results. We're doing research. I'm teaching it in Cal State Long Beach right now for uh, the college students. And we're planning to take it to um, junior high and um, pretty much from zero to 12K. Um, so that brings the educational aspect of it and then obviously the psychotherapy models of it. And the app is out this week. Um, so people, if you're interested, go to Fujon app for Apple and Android. Um, and it's an open structure model, which takes the cognitive, it takes the emotional, behavioral, mind, body, trauma informed, uh, solution focused, um, all of those and brings it together and creates um, a, kind of what, what I call it, a, a brief but very in-depth uh, personal work that you could do with yourself. And we do it in every area of life. Um, so we've had astonishing results of minimizing depression around 75% and anxiety about 64% and raising self-esteem and self-efficacy. So I'm excited about the awareness integration and we're teaching therapists and coaches, we're certifying them. And, um, that's, that's the, what I'm working on and I'm excited about it. And I'd love to share with you guys. Yeah, no, that, man, that sounds super interesting. I can't wait to, uh, I'm definitely going to look at the app. Um, when, when we're off the air, if you want to uh, point me in the direction where I can learn some more about your, your theory, I'd definitely be interested in it. Um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it today. Um, like you said, um, that's a big thing that we believe in on the show is that everybody is a philosopher. And we've talked about all kinds of stuff from, you know, God and time and these big topics down to Disney princesses and things, right? Because um, essentially at its core, right, um, philosophy is is taking any topic and, and asking those, those big questions about it. And psychology is certainly one of those. And, um, you know, behind every psychological theory, um, there's a philosophy, right? Um, if, if you have a, a behavioralist or, a, you know, a mechanical view of psychology, um, then you're, you're sort of looking at the human as, um, a machine. So they're, they're, they're kind of passive. You know, you have, um, either genetics or you have stimulus response things that, that cause you to, to act in a certain way that is almost deterministic. It's outside of your volition. Um, and then you have all the way on the other end of the spectrum, you have, um, you know, different ones that, that look at stages or, um, you know, the more modern conceptions try to integrate these things more than, more than separating them. But, um, yeah, philosophy, psychology, they go well together. Um, 
do you want to give the listeners an overview of, of what duality is um, from your perspective? Um, of course. Uh, I think that duality coming from um, the two different parts where could be complementary with each other or could be an opposite of each other. And um, from a hum- human place, we could look at it as the minute you are born, you have this duality between your needs um, and the needs of your surrounding and the world. And these two are consistently um, at times coming together and um, uniting and at times completely separate. And I think when the dualities unite, we no longer call them um, dualities because they're coming together in somewhere. So they somehow negotiate together and come in together. But as long as they're not united, they're still separate and somehow um, come in grips with each other consistently. And we find ourselves falling from one uh, one end to the other. Um, and you can see that from childhood going into uh, uh, you know teenagehood and every stage of life brings a different aspect of ourself, which is different with us and the world. So as we grow, um, I think that our dualities become much more complex because our needs become much more complex and the way and the roles we take on is much more complex, right? So we become a student to a teacher. We become, you know, we're a daughter to, uh, to a mother, a daughter to a father. In these roles, uh, each person in this relationship has different needs and they're constantly coming together. And then you have it with nature and you have it with the determinism of um, not not only what you like and how you negotiate, but you know, Joel, some things are just not negotiable. Like aging, you, yeah, you could, you think you could negotiate with it. Death is really not negotiable. So there are aspects of life that um, you like to negotiate, but you can't. So also the determinism of, yes, I am a human being with um, particular restrictions. I cannot fly. I can get a plane, but I cannot fly. It doesn't matter how much I think I want to. So these are all the things that I think we come to grips um, with every aspect of our life and how much these dualities, um, as we bring them and integrate them and bring them into a wholeness, will create kind of like mental health for us. And as long as they are opposite of each other and we find ourselves falling from one extreme to the other, it can be detrimental, such as like addiction. You know, I've worked with addiction for 30 some years, I, I think of myself as an, uh, as an addict. Um, you know, I started with, uh, oral fixation of, you know, sucking my thumb when I was little and then it turned into cigarettes. And then, you know, I finally quit cigarettes after 30 some years and then it turned into food, sugar and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, fat. Yes, because I knew I was an addict and I had a, you know, alcoholic father and, you know, my siblings were, um, I wasn't going to go around drugs because I knew I was going to take them and I'm just never going to leave them. Uh, you know, what I did with cigarette was enough. Uh, but even as I have stopped it, I can see this duality. And since I work with my clients, you can see this completely like, you know, the duality it is between the two parts that are constantly going from one extreme to it, it, um, another. And it seems like we either have to come to terms knowing and uh, becoming aware and in some aspects integrating. Um, or we're in a war with ourselves and other people consistently. And I see some of the misery that we create for ourselves and then are therefore for other people around us in uh, different types of relationships is that we are not aware of these dualities, although they're consistently at us, within us, and working through us. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting things that you said there. Um, you know, one of them is that I think, you know, when most people think about dualities, I think they think of um, sort of polar opposites, you know, some things that are diametrically opposed. Um, but like you mentioned, sometimes they don't necessarily have to be opposites so much as separate, right? The, the needs of, you know, my needs versus the needs of others, they're not necessarily um, opposite things. And like you said, sometimes they coincide and sometimes they, they go against each other, but they are 
they are separate, you know, and it's that separateness that causes us to um, have to reevaluate them and uh, sort of take a, a wider perspective. The other part of it is, um, you know, how the way we interact with these things, um, we, we try to label them. And I think that that labeling is a duality in itself, right? When you say um, somebody is an addict, right? It's that is it's a sort of universally uh, negative thing to say, um, but I also am, am an addict, right? Like I, I go to school, right? And um, I just I just go to school for fun, <laughs> and so I, I take class after class, and um, in between semesters, I find myself getting really anxious, really you know, kind of depressed, kind of you know. So maybe that's an unhealthy connection to something, um, even though that thing itself is um, sort of growth-oriented, right? So, like you said, I think that the duality, saying that something is good or something is bad, I think that automatically puts us at a disadvantage. Like you were saying, there has to be some sort of integration. There has to be some sort of perspective that allows you to say, um, what can I take from these two things and and put them together in order to create a, a sort of healthy um, attitude or or way of behaving. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, when you said that, this uh, showed up for me. I had um, a lot of bias about um, living what I used to call uselessly to the end while I'm not contributing and I'm not even enjoying. And so therefore, um, you know, working uh, maybe with, with my clients or somebody who had a very, very elderly parent, or even when I have had my elderly parent, at one point, I kept finding myself saying like, if I ever get there, please, 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 I'm, I'm going to go, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, I voted for uh, palliative care and all of those um, end of life, you know, choices. And I read this. Um, book and I actually have this person on my podcast and it was like fascinating which um they had gone to three different um locations where uh like nursing homes where people who at the end of their life were living there um and the beauty was um that because there's no expectation and every day they wake up as if like I won today. <laughs> One more day, I won to be in this human body and experience that they were so joyous. Um, although I might have not experienced that joy outside based on only my assumption. But interestingly enough, the person with their own duality about facing death, every day they woke up, it was like, I won one more day. And it was this awesome level of looking at the duality that we have, which is this concept of anxiety about death, this powerlessness that we have. And then suddenly each day, although they're not necessarily doing something to get it, but when they get it, it's as if I won the lottery. Yeah, I think I think death is a really good example because um like you mentioned, if we if we just break it down to like government or legislation um, viewpoints, then it really becomes this black and white thing, right? Oh, um, should should people allowed be allowed to choose when they want to die, or or is that always wrong? But that's that's way too um, black and white, right? Everybody has a different relationship. You know, there might be some people who are, um, you know, somebody who who's a hundred years old who isn't ready to die, right? Whereas um, one thing I always tell you know, my friends and family is, you know, I'm, I'm 34, but it seems like I've been alive for a really long time and I've had a really good life. So if I were to die tomorrow, I wouldn't be sad. You know, like I'm glad, you know, I'm glad for every day that I give from here on out. Um, but if somebody were to break the news to me tomorrow that, Hey, you know what, you've got six months to live. I feel like I've lived a, a, a pretty good life. Like I'm not, I don't feel very afraid of death, you know? So it, that's it's just something that is very unique to, to each person's circumstance and, and their previous life experiences and their expectations, you know, f for things. And um, I think that, again, it's just that relationship, you know, looking at how people 
are in, you know, viewing these different things that have happened in their life really impacts um, what sort of power or sway that, that do, a duality has in their lives. Um, what are some examples of dualities that um, are, are, are big in, in psychology or big to you, your, your theory? Well, in, in uh, awareness integration, we're actually uh, consistently looking at the different parts of you between the dualities of you, how, what, you what we have about or uh, assigned a positive, um, you know, beliefs and thoughts and the assigned negative ones and how you create um, emotions based on those thought processes and how do you associate. So one of the conversations that I've always had uh, with uh, addiction is that we associate um, something that is really harmful for us to absolutely utter pleasure. And it's really our association. And it's like a fantasy you create for yourself, which is very different than reality. And I think a lot of our dualities is between these fantasies. You know, human beings are probably, I could say, the only species that we live on our fantasies as if it's reality. Um, and, uh, we, we, uh, we take reality and twist it, um, in a narrative construct with most of the narration narration is a movie we create and a, with a lot of fantasy. And a lot of times when reality keeps shoving itself in our face, <laughs> the duality is, no, I insist on my own fantasy. I insist, I insist. And I think that's where part partly what we do with you know the awareness integration is consistently looking at um my thought process my emotion process how am i behaving what kind of results and impacts am i creating how am i assuming that we are the only species that we live basically based on our assumptions you know people do things and we just come up with these stories about them and come up with the stories about how they think of us and how they feel about us and then they do something and we create this narration and we take it really personal and you know i mean we live like this a whole lifetime and never check Right. Like never check. I've actually asked my, my clients or myself, like, Oh, you've had this elaborate assumption. Have you ever checked? Is it true? No, I can't. And even if I tell them, they'll lie to me. And I'm, but don't you want to hear it from the horse's mouth? No, no, I don't believe them. But you believe yourself in your assumptions of, you know, what you think other people think of you. But, and then it's funny because even if I ask somebody to go talk to your family and friends and, Tell, ask them how they think about you and they'll come back with this elaborate, beautiful list. And then I say, well, can you take that in? No, I'm still bad. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a narrative that the person has created as a fantasy to themselves and they're not willing to let it go. Although when they check with reality of, you know, pe- how do people think of them? mostly is pretty good. Like there's a solidness of the characters that are amazing. So it's this type of a duality that we consistently live throughout the day, throughout the day. You're, you're living with this. The duality between what can I control and what can't. And we insist on trying to control things that is just not up to us. Mm. You know, how many times we go into the place of getting pissed at people of why are they the way they are and they should be another way. And I'm the one who's going to tell them how they should be and how they should act. And, um, you know, why do they think that way? And, um, we now, you know, get involved in social media and yell and yell at each other for being different than each other, you know? So you can, you can watch this duality from the minute you wake up in the morning, um, toward everything. I remember Joel, one day I woke up. I, I was going to a class and I, uh, they had this assignment and it was all about like this concept of you wanting to hold on and control these um, aspects and, you know, thinking that you're really, really in control. And, um, the radio went on for my, for, um, the alarm. And I realized I have no idea what's in that radio. Mm. I don't know what that radio is. I don't know anything about the waves. I don't know who's going to be on it. Who's going to be talking? Um, how does it even is made? What is the technology of it? And I thought, well, how, how, why did I buy this? Well, it had one function, which was going to wake me up and it was going to give me music and it looked cute. 
That's it. I mean, those are the three conditions that got me to the purchase it. Then I was laying down and I'm like, you know, this mattress, I have no idea what's in it. Who made it? Why was it? It's just I bought it because it was firm enough. And then I looked at the drapes and I looked at the walls and I looked at all of that. And I went into the bathroom and, you know, I'm taking a shower and I'm like, what's in this water? I have no idea what's in this water. How did he fix it? I just knew it's water. And I went through the day, Joel, looking at, I pretty much knew point point oh 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 one percent of the things that were around me that I even thought I had the choice of. I purchased this. I purchased this house. I purchased this mattress. I did. I'm the one who did it. And when I look at it, I'm like, that's interesting. There's so many aspects that I have no control. And I pretend going around the world, I made it to 61 years and a half. And yet with so much, I have no clue about, and I'm running life pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about uh, that on the show once in a while. We call it, it's, um, the illusion, explanatory illusion, right? Which is this idea that, like you said, we go around thinking that we're we're just masters of our domain, right? Like, okay, well, you know, hey, I, I built this computer that I'm recording us on, right? So I think that I know stuff about computers, but I don't. I don't, I don't know. What to, like you said, where do they get the silicone for the microchips? Where do they get all this stuff? No idea, right? And that can extend even beyond materialistic things. I know with philosophy, lots of times... Um, what you find is that humans, um, you know, one of our defining characteristics is language. And that's the way that we, you know, conceptualize these sort of abstract ideas. Um, but all of a sudden you start looking at, at a word and you go, where did that word come from? What does that, what does that mean? Right. And you start going back and you realize, you know, at some point, this is just something that's made up, right? It's just a, it's just a symbol. Um, and, but yeah, it's, it, it's this really this illusion of um, explanatory depth, our, our inability to to really, you know, we know nothing about anything, right? At, at some point, um, but isn't it the duality of going back and forth between then what we know and what we don't know, and how do we how do we bring down this anxiety of the unknown consistently by itself as a duality, and coming to terms in trying to figure out, all right, I know, even if it's 1.0001%, can I hold on to that and say, okay, I can bring my anxiety to at least see what is it that I can do? What are the power that I do have? What is the impact I want to create? What is my intention and how can I create that intention? So it's this duality of, you know, is it me or is it you know, determinism, do I have free will or I not, which is a huge philosophical conversation, which is, yeah, it could be that we, I don't have free will, but I do have small choices within the construct of where I'm, you know, where I am, right? Like I can't, I don't have free will of me changing to a dog right now, but I do have it that if I'm a human being with this, construct at this age, um, these are my limitations or these are my structure. And within the structure, what are some of the behaviors that I can do with some intentionality that I have? And I think that by itself can um, integrate what we were talking about, the dualities a little bit. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the big, the big step there is reframing perspective, right? Because the name of this podcast is From Nowhere to Nothing. The reason it's named that, well, it's a quote from a philosopher talking about how philosophy is a road from nowhere to nothing. Basically meaning, you know, you, you look at these topics and like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it doesn't matter what it is, God and time or Disney princesses, right? You start looking at them and if you keep asking questions and you keep going back and you keep, you know, wondering where the things came from, you never find out. There really aren't any answers. And so... Really, you can you can have one or two reactions to it, right? It's 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 a duality in itself where you can say, well, you know, I don't know if there's a god or not, and that that really scares me because you know what happens after I die or what happens here, or you can just let that kind of fascinate you, right? And that that's the boat that I'm in. Is I I've gotten to the point where I really like not knowing. Like I like I like the mystery of of things, you know, and it gives you the ability to to continue probing and stuff, but. Yeah, perspective in any parts of our life, like you were saying earlier, um, you know, because of our our consciousness and our our language, we're able to create these narratives. 
um, about other people or about our own lives and things. And very often, you know, just being able to shift your perspective is enough to change your reality about the way that these things kind of play out. There's a study just recently where, um, you know, they were, they were trying, they're asking people, um, I think they put them on a train and they had half the people, um, say, Hey, just behave how you want. And then they had half the people and they said, um, you have to talk to the stranger across from you in the, in the car. Right. And so the half that they just told, ah, do whatever you want. They didn't interact with the stranger at all. But the other half that they said, Hey, listen, you have to engage this person in conversation. Um, they, they did. And going into it, everybody thought that they would have these these terrible interactions, that they'd be bothering the person, that the person would be unpleasant, all this sort of stuff. But they found that almost universally, anybody who started up a conversation with a stranger had a really good time. They, you know, they talked to them um, because that's just part of that narrative, right? People are are people just like just like us, right? So if you you start having a conversation with a stranger, um, there's a good chance that you'll have something in common because you're both people. But our our inborn sort of bias is that, oh, if this is a stranger, I wanna I wanna steer clear of them. I'm gonna I'm gonna bother them or they're gonna be unpleasant or something, right? It's that narrative. And it's it's interesting how widespread it is. Um so do dualities, right? Do these split situations, do they actually exist or are they just sort of helpful conceptual tools for our brains to um, categorize things around us? I mean, when I look at nature, <clears throat> I think that it changes. And with that change, I, in one essence, it brings the duality. Um, so I do think it exists. Obviously, we... Uh, we we create more complex one because of the frontal cortex that you know we've we've uh, grown. Uh, but you look at you know the same land that goes through different types of uh, natural changes. Um, it does go through their own duality. Or even when you look at the animal world, like you know, if you are an animal in the wild, every morning that um, when the light shows up. Um, you got to find food. And how do you do that? And um, how do you survive? And you're going to be either eaten or eat something. Or how do you create territory? So I think, um, I think it, it is the, the way that we as human beings create more complex at it, I think is because of the self that gets created with different narratives that now wants to deal with different elements. And so it adds to the duality, let's say. So there's some, some there already, and then we add to it consistently. And then uh, I would assume that when, as you grow to beyond a certain point, as you're going down, <laughs> down the hill, um, then you might want to integrate more um, and make life com less complex. So it could be like as a child, it's less complex, then we keep making it more complex as you are an adult and then, you know, um, wanting to find to, to be in different roles, um, not only because of survival, but because of survival of your identity, being in a society, you create all of these pieces, which is just going to add to your dualities. And then from the other side, you know, you keep going down and completing your dualities and becoming integrated, integrated, integrated. And finally, like, let, it's almost like shedding, you know, shedding these different pieces so that you can become uh, like your innocent whole, uh, the soul of it. And then like, you know, say goodbye and move on. That's how I uh, look at it, whether it's real or not. Um, what we create internally ap appears to be real. Um, however, just like you mentioned beautifully, which is, it, there's just different stories. Like when you were talking about God, um, I've worked a lot with people where, um, it's like, if you have one that is very personal to you and it comes at your support, well, awesome. Like, keep it. What's the issue? And if we have one that puts guilt on you, it's <laughs> watching you and scolding you, and you know, then like, well, God, why did you give me cancer? And you did this, and you did that. I'm like, 
maybe we need to change the narrative and the God you created is not beneficial to you because it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, you've created a monster out of that. And then, all right, maybe, maybe we could change the narrative on this one and, and, you know, hold the one that you created again in your head, which is this beautiful nurturing uh, image of it being. Now, is it real or not? I don't know, but it's certainly real for people. Yeah. And, you know, if it's real for you, then the point is, how are you utilizing it? Right. Yeah. And that's where, um, you know, thinking about it, philosophy versus psychology, it's kind of interesting, right? Because in philosophy, we think about this concept a lot, which is um, kind of continuity versus discontinuity, right? Um, Heraclitus said, you never step in the same river twice because, you know, even though the river might be a whole, you know, you step in it and all the water that's in the river is different water than what was there before. So this idea of a river being a separate thing from the land or from these other things, it's really sort of illusory, right? Or, um, you know, this, uh, you know, these, all of, all of these different things are, are present in philosophy. Um, or with, with God, right? You look at, at God and you say, okay, well, there's definitely certain things that we experience in reality that cannot be explained scientifically. Um, so then you say, well, is it just stuff that could be explained scientifically, but we don't have the scientific tools or methods to explain it? Or is it, you know, a God or an alien simulation or whatever you want to believe, right? You have, there's no way of knowing. Um, so it, it's this idea of there being dualities in, in reality from a philosophical view is sort of complicated, but from a psychological point of view, um, it's a little bit more clear cut, right? Like you were saying, um, rather than thinking about reality, we're thinking about our personal perspective of reality, the narrative that we create about it. And in the narratives, um, for sure, there's, there's things that are, separate from other things that's the way our our brains work is to is to categorize things and, and create these these distinct separations even if they don't really exist in reality and then we form attitudes creates, and stories about that, creates, that piece creates suffering right the personal as the personal angle that is like you know from that we look at from a psychological perspective is because there is a piece that creates agony and misery or in a bigger philosophy we're not looking at it from a personal perspective so the the emotional factor doesn't show up and then yet when you become a human being who's looking at the bigger picture but somehow relates to that bigger picture now the relationship becomes a narrative that can either create misery or agony or create comfort and peacefulness and love and unity. And I think those are, again, the duality of what is and how am I relating to it? Because I don't think human being can survive. It, it, it doesn't exist without relating to something. Like, let's take a human being and put him in a four white walls. What happens after a while? They'll create their own reality. They'll be completely psychotic. They'll imagine people or things outside of them, and then they'll relate to it. Yeah. So it won't exist without relation. So whatever you see out there, we're going to relate to it. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. One of the interesting um, things that I read about was um, there's... Uh, I think it's Microsoft. There's some company that has the quietest room in the world where they test out um, different equipment and things. And um, there's been a few people that have had the ability to, to kind of go in there and just see what it's like. And um, the longest anybody's ever stayed in there is 56 minutes um, because they just get un unnerved just from it being so quiet. This, you know, you can hear the blood rushing in your ears and you can hear all this stuff and it, it will just drive you crazy. Like you were saying, um, solitary confinement in prison, right? They've, they've shown that people who have been exposed to this for extended periods of time, they tend to have psychotic breaks. So yeah, you know, it just goes to show we like to think of our brains as being this tabula rasa, right? This, this neutral, um, objective, um, thing. But it's really not. Um, we we have our our own subjective experiences, our own past learning, 
But even beyond that, um, just the hardware of the human brain is, you know, wired to um, perceive and to make sense of things a, a certain way. And that can work for us or against us. Um, do you think that there's, so we've talked about dualities and how they can kind of be harmful. Um, do you think that there's any positive aspects to having a dualistic thinking like that? I do. I think that it um, expands us. It takes away from limitation because you can look at things from so many different angles and have different needs and different desires. And, uh, you know, like when we talk um, in couples and couples therapy, it's um, two people with completely different desires. And, you know, we put ourselves into a position of actually committing ourselves to living with another human being. And for what? Mostly to expand, you know? So I do think duality has a lot of benefit because it would be very, very one-sided if I, um, if I only stuck to one story, which I probably created between zero and seven years of age and just kind of like got caught in it. Um, and never open myself to any other information because if you are opening yourself in any type of information, um, it's going to be something different. So you're going to face duality immediately. And if you consistently say no, 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 it's going to be pretty dogmatic and very small. My world will be very small and I won't, I won't fit in the bigger picture because the bigger picture is moving along, it's growing, it's moving, it's, you know, if shifting. So if I'm stuck, I'm the one who's stuck. Right. So I think duality is part of this growth that you're consistently moving from one phase to another phase of life, from one experience to another experience. And that, that's like the transitional roads going from this bridge of duality. Now, sometimes, you know, the, you, you just create too many roads and they're all there and you're fine. And sometimes you use it as a bridge, you know, you go through the bridge and finally, you know, land somewhere bigger or, or different. Yeah, I think to, to bring a, a psychology word into it, it's this idea of cognitive dissonance, right? All of us experience that. We have a narrative. We have this, this idea of how something is. And that at, at some point during our lives, there's new information that's introduced um, that shows that what we believe just isn't true. And then we have a choice to make. Well, um, do I find a way to rationalize the fact that what I initially believed was right and that this new information is, is false and is wrong? Um, or do I accept that this new information is right and then find a way to integrate it into my prior beliefs and, and kind of head on a, a different path, you know? Um, and that's the struggle that everybody faces. Um, and I, I think that that's something that people especially struggle with nowadays in the age of um, social media and kind of um, polarizing political environments and things is they experience, um, you know, they they have this echo chamber, right, of of people, um, whether it's online or in, in real life, that that reflect their ideas, um, and then when somebody else comes in that that doesn't share their ideas, or a piece of evidence emerges that, that goes against what they believed, um, it becomes very hard to accept that new information if you've been reinforcing the false information or your initial position um, so heavily beforehand, right? Um, is there an effective way of, of dealing with dualities that we face like that? What I've tried to do, Joel, is um, to start looking at each one of them as an entity and um, kind of look at the different angles of each one. Um, you know, what's the pros and the cons, let's say. And many times from a behavioral level, you know, I've done and I've asked uh, my, my clients to just, you know, run a, a, do a, a running journal of um, if this is the case, what's the pros and cons? And if this isn't the case, what's the pros and cons? And you kind of just allow this to flourish and brew and write and write and write until, you know, when something is written in front of you, it's different because you visually also are seeing um, all angles of it. 
and to come to terms. And then that's where I think you, a lot of times you'll see that they have some similarities. And then, you know, you come to terms with the similarities and you kind of like negotiate with the, the parts that are not, are not very similar. Um, or at one point when you keep writing and getting to know this, you'll get to see that you might have to really mourn and let go of one, one side and transfer yourself to another side completely until the next duality hits, right? Um, we see that a lot between phases of life in where is it that, you know, one phase is completing and we got to go to another phase and we're in this duality, you know, like singlehood to couplehood. There's this duality, the couplehood to parenthood. There's this duality, you know, and, and it, you know, it's coming. You're the one who's choosing it, but it doesn't take away from, I just want the old stuff to still be there, which can't be in the new stuff. And then how can I integrate it and create all of those? And then when I said like going into retirement and then, you know, coming to terms with aging. So you could see this piece keeps coming. And then I, um, one aspect of it is grief, let go. It's not coming back. Some things you can bargain with each other and integrate. And other parts are you can't bargain anymore. And you just got to say goodbye to the other side and have your sadness, have your cries. And, you know, again, the journaling and the writing really helps. But it's, it's also this awareness that this is what's going on right now in my life. And I got to let it go. And enter this new phase now the new phase itself might have its own dualities and then we could you know see if this set now we could be negotiated somehow that's yeah. it yeah i think uh you know when we were talking about um sort of how humans um you know your our thinking is not objective right just the way our brains are wired is not objective part of that is that we tend to look on the past as being more rosy or more favorable than it actually was. And we tend to look at the future as being uh, more scary or more negative than it really has the potential to be. So I think that might be a lot of some of the ways that these dualities or some of these um, negative behaviors emerge is, um, you know, we're doing something um, and we, we have this history of doing something, we become comfortable doing it. Um, and so we, we think of it as, as uh, you know, something that is, that is positive. We, we reflect and we say, oh, you know, I've been doing this for this long and it's been great, right? And then you think about changing um, and, and you look into the future and you think, oh, well, that's going to be too hard. It's, it's too scary, right? Um, but that's... Some of the research, um, Joel, actually, some of the research of forecasting has really come to the term of whatever state you are today, and that's pretty much what you forecast, which has nothing to do again with what reality is. Because that's all you could forecast. You could only forecast. Either you could, you're going to take the past and, you know, uh, kind of like shoot it in, into the image of the future, or you're just going to take what your present moment is and shoot it into the future. And uh, I think part of the survival game uh, is like what you said is, um, I'm going to shoot some negative things into the future just to be aware so that I can be alert and aware and not, um, not, you know, doing the mistakes that I did before or not to get hurt. And so definitely some part of our survival sends some, you know, detrimental, <laughs> the negative stuff into the future, just not to be at ease completely and let go of my defenses because I need my defenses to survive. Yeah, I actually just read um, a new article that I was doing an article review on for my the course I'm currently taking. And it was interesting because I was looking at um, prospective memories versus autobiographical memories. So autobiographical memories, that's what we typically think of as, as memories, right? Something that happened in the past that we're reflecting on. And prospective memories are us thinking about something that's going to happen in the future. And so they measured... Um, a bunch of people across a bunch of different ages to see what the results were. And what they found out was that older people had more prospective memories than younger people, which went against, was, went against what they hypothesized because they figured based off of the temporal location that people inhabit, you'd think that if you were younger, you had less time behind you 
to reflect on things you had done, but you had more time ahead of you to look at things that would happen. And if you were older, the situation would be reversed. So they expected the older people who had less, you know, less life ahead of them to have less prospective memories, but they found just the opposite. Older people um, were thinking about the future much more than younger people. Um, but the interesting part about the study to me was that when they looked at how um, these memories sort of correlated, they found that there wasn't people who had more autobiographical memories or more prospective memories. Rather, people who had more of one also had more of the other. So what that sort of means in layman's terms is that there are some people who, if, if you don't think about the past, you really don't think about the future. But if you do think about the past a lot, you also think about the future a lot. And they said that this is a person's way of um, using the past to inform the future. So they said th there was just two distinct types of people that emerged from the group, those who were just sort of living in a present moment and those who thought a lot about the past and then also thought a lot about the future. I thought that was really interesting. Um, which person do you think, which group of people do you think would, would have more issues with duality? That's the person who's living in that moment or the person who's thinking more about the past and more about the future? I would assume uh, different tenses that I would it would create that. It's very hard to just live in the in the present moment. Um, I think Zimbardo, Philip Zimbardo, has an amazing uh, theory, and he has a book about um, how people, even that, is a duality of how they split. We split the past into positive and negative memories. And we split the future into positive and negative. And maybe we split even the present moment into positive and negative. And if you, if you are a person who tends to do one more than the other, whether you know you're a, a past negative uh, person, which more time during the day you kind of like hover around that, it makes you more of a depressed person. If you're looking at a negative future consistently, it makes you more of an anxious person, you know. Um, if you're looking at more of the past, of uh, the positive past, um, and you, you kind of like ruminate and you lose the perspective of the, you know, the concepts that are in the present moment for you, um, and you don't necessarily look at the future because you're kind of, uh, fulfilled with the past. So you're not necessarily moving along life or creating goals or goal oriented and all of it. People who are usually creating, you know, positive aspects, they're, those are the kind of like A personalities, which are consistently, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, create, move to, you know, and anything positive, anything negative that happens, it's like, it's just an obstacle, let's move forward, you know. So you can see or the people who are just don't worry about it. It's like a present moment, hedonistic, all is good. Let's just get, get high and enjoy the moment, you know, let's get some mushroom and LSD and let's look at this rose and just experience the rose and um and the ones who are in the present moment and consistently in the negative, um, they're just miserable at every time. They look at everything and, and during the day and they're fighting with it. So you could see there, you know, we all live in all of it, but somehow we get to train our brain to take one of these temporal things and then, you know, add the positive and negative and kind of live in that mode. And, um, and our job really as a therapist to be able to see that and kind of flow it where all six, uh, you know, the, the past, present, uh, the past, present, and future, and all of it in both the negative and, and uh, um, the positive, it gets a little bit more balanced. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. It's great. Um, is there anything else you want to you want to mention about dualities before we before we tie up the show? Is there anything that we didn't cover? I mean, for for the, I think to wrap it up, it would be more like it's going to be here. It is here. Might as well look for it and enjoy it, learn from it, integrate what you can, um, because it is. It's just is. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know that's something that that carries over into into everyday life is just perspective, right? If if I find myself reacting in a strong emotional way to something, whether it's positive or negative, 
I'm just asking myself, why am I having this reaction to this thing, you know, and sort of rationalizing it. Um, all right. Um, do, is, do you want to tell the listeners again just about um, what you have going on? And Yes. Um, go to fujan.com, F-O-O-J-A-N.com, and that is for the app. Get the app from your Apple store or um, for Android, Go, you know, Google. Um, my website is fujanzane.com. So you can see all that I do. And um, if you're interested, if you're a coach or a therapist and want to be certified in uh, awareness integration theory, you know, go to awarenessintegration.com. So all those three uh, websites are available for different things. And I just love to hear from people. The, the books are out there. One is for as a self-help is like reset. Um, the one book is for coaches and therapists called Awareness Integration Therapy. And another one is called Intentional Parenting, which is we take every single age group and talk about uh, their different developmental stages. And then we bring awareness integration and in how to deal with those stages, you know, as they move forward. So they're all available for whomever's listening and feels like, oh, I fit with this and they're interested in it. All right. Dr. Zane, thanks for being on. It was a great talk. And until next time, keep hungry.